Can you imagine how your life would be if you couldn't say what you wanted? Naoki Higashida makes a map of his mind. It's kind of poetry. How do I see the world? For me, the details jump straight out. Inside my head, there isn't really such a big difference between what I was told just now and what I heard a long time ago. <laughs> my mind is forever swaying this way and that. Try to stop her from being herself. I think we can change the conversation around autism by being part of the conversation. Right now, Joss is having a joy that I will never come close to. <laughs> to live my life as a human being, nothing is more important than being able to express myself. Hi everyone, I'm John Offord. I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and welcome to a very special episode of the Different Minds podcast series. Based on Naoki Higashida's groundbreaking memoir in which a 13-year-old non-speaking autistic boy brilliantly describes his perception of the world, the reason I jump offers a rich and highly relatable first-hand portrait of what autism feels like. Following five young people from around the world and using excerpts from the book as a narrative thread, it describes how distressing or intensely beautiful the world can be for someone with autism spectrum disorder. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by the director of The Reason I Jump, Jerry Rothwell, and the producer, contributor of the film, Jeremy Deer, Joss's father. Welcome to the Different Minds podcast series. Hi, Thank you. So I watched the film and I think it's, you know, it goes without saying that it's an outstanding documentary, which incidentally won the World Cinema Documentary Award at the Sundance Film Festival last year. That, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, 2020. Seems, it seems an age ago. Yeah, yeah. So I really like how the film uses imaginative cinematography, I guess, in, in, in an attempt to let us see and hear a sensory world in a in a way that perhaps a non-verbal autistic person might see or, or hear it. So yeah, I, just, I guess my first question is, how did the, the idea for the film actually come about? Our son, Joss, is, uh, is autistic. And uh, we, he's, he when I think when he was about seven or eight, we came across the book, The Reason I Jump. And, um, you know, it was a... Uh, we found it an absolutely fascinating, indeed, in fact, even revelatory read, really, because for the first time we were able to understand some of, well, we were able to get a, get a glimpse into the potential reasons behind some of the behaviours that our son was exhibiting. Um, because, you know, I think when you have a, an autistic child as a parent, there are a lot of things that, you know, there is no manual. 
um, you, 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 your, your child is, is behaving differently. And when we read the book, um, you know, we got a, I think we got an understanding of, of the reasons potentially behind that. And it was enormously reassuring. It was sort of, it, it helped us, I think, in um, being better parents, if I'm honest with you, because I think we were able to be more empathetic yeah. uh, with Joss. Um, and so having, having you know, gleaned that from the book, we, we then got in touch with uh, uh, David Mitchell, who was the uh, co-translator of the book um, with, his, uh, with his wife. And we got in touch with um, Nalki. And uh, we, we optioned the book and then set about, you know, trying to find a way to turn this, this amazing book, which is, you know, a real insight into, I, we think, into autism. But the challenge was then, how do you turn it into a film? Because the, the book is a series of questions and answers, which um, there's a sort of question, you know, why do you flap your hands or why do you, uh, why do you like to jump or, or, or whatever? And it's a, te- you know, a page or two of text, which gives you answers to those questions, which isn't necessarily the most sort of, you know, narrative driven uh, 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 subject for a film. Um, and um, that's when we sort of, you know, got together with uh, Jerry and our co-producer, uh, Al Morrow, and um, sort of started to work the material along with David um, into something which we thought could make for, a, for an interesting and enlightening and film. And I think, you know, that the motive behind wanting to do it was really because we wanted, you know, we thought this was such an important book. We thought that, that what Nalki was saying um, was so important that it, it was really, it was key to get that message of understanding out there to sort of bring to a wider audience the fact that, you know, there is, there is, there is reason, there is, uh, there is, there is a reason to jumping. There is, um, you know, uh, 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 we, we need to be asking, you know, we need to be condemning less and understanding more. And I think that's one of the things that, that Nalki really, um, that his book and his subsequent book, actually, yeah. which is also a tremendous read and highly recommended, yeah. um, are really good. Uh, are, you know, set out and set out to do, and has really achieved that. Um, it's interesting as well, just just by the by. You know, his now kid's book is part of a sort of canon of literature by autistic writers from right. which write about autism from the inside. I think, yeah. um, and Jerry can speak to this, but uh, I think you know our view is there has been a lot of autistic films about autism from the outside for it, which particularly I think from the parental point of view. And it's one of the things that, you know, we wanted, it's part of our film, but it is absolutely not the, the main part of it. So I think it's important that yeah. we were setting out from the beginning to try and give uh, more of an insider's perspective. Sure. And of course the author wasn't actually in the, the film. Is that right? Yeah. I, 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 so I think originally we thought it, you know, the film would be a film in part about Nauki, about this young boy who found his voice through, through writing and through spelling, um, and and kind of became a writer. And uh, so I went to Japan to meet Nauki and talk to him about that as an idea. Um, and meeting Nauki is an incredible experience, just because I think of the process of communication that he uses, which is pointing to a board of let uh, to a letterboard. Uh, I mean, he also uses yeah. a computer independently as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been some doubt as to whether Nauki wrote the reason I jump, whether whether it was sort of written by David Mitchell or by his mum. But that I came away from that meeting absolutely certain of him as the author. Um, yeah. You know, he typed a com- independently in a conversation to me, and uh, 
his his thoughts were just as kind of wise and poetic as as the book is um yeah. so but he did say you know I, 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 yeah great do the project but i don't want to be in it and i don't want it to be about mm. me um <laughs> which was a bit difficult uh but actually i think sent the the film on a more interesting path which is how do we use this kind of text the this sort of word these words from from this 12 year old boy as a way of uh looking at exploring understanding um and immersing us in the lives of five people around the world yeah and i think obviously it's important so the other thing i should have really said is that you know um naoki is largely non-speaking um as was as is my son yeah. Um, no, I think they both they both have some language, but it's not um, the fluency with the language which uh, you know most of us have, and that's another perspective that I think has been hitherto neglected in the canon of work about autism. It, it is this, and it's a you know non-speaking uh, autistic people constitute I think around sort of thirty to thirty-five percent of those who are generally recognised as as autistic. So there was a we felt there was very much a, a film that needed to be made, particularly about these uh, that particular cohort. Yeah, absolutely. I wondered if I could just ask um, you as a director, um, Jerry, so how, I guess there's an element of guesswork, isn't there, with this? Because, you know, ultimately, how do we know how other people think? And I just wondered if you could just talk to me about, you know, you, you tried to take the audience into a slightly non-neurotypical yeah, 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 way of looking at the world. And am I right in thinking that you set up an advisory board with autistic people in the UK? Just mm-hmm. tell us a bit about, a bit about that journey. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't know how you see the world and and you don't know how I see it. And it's quite hard to imagine yourself into someone else's head, I think, and quite a presumptive thing to do. Uh, You know, I really resist the idea, I suppose, that the film is like a simulation of an experience because I don't think that's possible. But I think what it can do maybe is just sit you to one side for a while of your kind of of, of neurotypical assumptions and filters through which we we generally interpret the world. the book, you know, the book above all sort of plunges you into this sensory experience. It, it talks about sounds and the ways things appear and patterns and and how words kind of um, how how sort of language is is like kind of being in a in a stormy sea for Naoki. Um, so it felt there were lots of clues in the book to thinking about how we how we shot and and recorded the film. As you say, we, we worked with a, a, an advisory group of, of mostly verbal autistic people. Um, and I guess what the other thing we tried to do was to get as much of that imagery and sound out of people's actual situations rather than try and impose a sort of set of, um, you know, special effects or... or um, or, or kind of metaphorical images on it. We tried to, you know, if when, when we go and meet Amrit in her room in, in Delhi in 40 degree heat with these mm. fans kind of spinning and kind of creating mm. this breeze, we tried to just enter that space in a sensual way, try and sort of experience it, not through our verbal assumptions or maybe the, the usual way you might cut a documentary, but try mm. and put an audience there to feel it instead. So I think it's kind of immersive, but it's not a simulation. That's yeah, the... yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what myths do you think the film demolishes then about, about autism? I mean, I think it's interesting, like, like in some ways the, the film, like it, it, there, are, there are some kind of tropes within the film, I think. You know, you have someone who's extremely good at art, you have, uh, uh, you know, people who are extremely brilliant in their own ways. But I think above all, it tries to 
get away from those sorts of ideas, those ideas that, you know, people are either geniuses or fools to try mm. and put you in the kind of the everyday experience of people, not, not um, you know, getting away from that, that the, you know, the trope of the exceptional human being to get away from the trope of this, the person yep. who has the, the secret meaning of life that, you know, we can all learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the you know those, those kinds of ideas I guess uh, and tries to just explore a different way of seeing yeah and that's a really good point what you say because often in the media they they portray an autistic individual as someone with superhero skills like a savant that has these you know amazing superhuman skills or at the other end of the spectrum someone that has high support needs and it's either one extreme or the other. And of course, autism is, is, is part of the spectrum, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it was really one, one of the sort of challenges of the film was how Naoki's words could be used as a, as a sort of bedrock through the film without being seen as applicable to all autistic people or even to the autistic people who we see in the film, you know, that to try and create a space for them, which helped yep. you see from a different point of view, but didn't put that experience on everyone as though, and to generalize about it. Yeah. Jeremy, have you got anything to, to add to that? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the variety within the spectrum is, is as infinite as the variety um, in the, in the, in the so-called normal, you know, world. Yeah. Uh, and to, you know, it's impossible to make generalizations about autistic people because they are all as individual uh, as everybody else. Um, I think the problem, I think one of the one of the issues is that there are these sort of fairly noxious uh, myths about autism. They started in the 50s with the, uh, you know, theory of refrigerator mothers where, you know, autism was blamed. Yeah. It doesn't need to be blamed on anyone, but it was blamed on, you know, coldness from from yeah. mothers, which is, yeah. you know, a, a horrible thing. And that yeah. gained, that had a real currency for a while, you know, in, in psychology circles. And then you know there've there, and there have been various iterations of of these wrong-headed ideas about autism, um, which pers have persisted until very recently. I mean, you know, the lack of empathy mm -hmm. being, I think, one of the most harmful is that you know these that autistic people are incapable of feeling emotion and particularly incapable of feeling other people's emotion. And I think one of the things I, mean, I know from Joss, from my own son, that he's intensely aware of people's moods. He's intensely aware of mm -hmm how people react to him and that's something that Nalki uh, writes very cogently about is you know how distressed he is if he thinks he is a cause of a problem or, yeah. or how much he takes on himself when he sees other people um, suffering and and you know I really think that was a you know very much one of the things that we wanted to sort of tackle in this film was to say that really isn't true and um, and it's part that's part of sort of I think the, the wider the wider conversation around autism and hopefully the, the film's a little you know first step in that which is about um giving giving autistic people what well, not giving them but allowing people to understand that there is there are just different ways of being there's not yeah. uh, lesser ways of being i think you know Absolutely. the conversation is autism was always looked at as a deficit yeah and I don't think that's necessarily the most helpful way and indeed the most accurate way of, to look at autism at all. We need to be a great deal more um, open-minded than that. So as you say, Jeremy, your, your son, Joss, uh, features in the film. 
and mm. I, 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 I read somewhere that you likened your son's thought process to an out-of-control slideshow. I wonder mm. if you could just tell us about, were you able to learn things about your son that perhaps you didn't know before? I think, well, I'm always learning. Uh, with Joss, it's a it's a continual, you know, because his language is very limited. Um, he 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 talks. I mean, in fact, he, very much. This is something that I learned. You know, I understood from the book. Joss Joss likes uh, is echolaic, which means that you know, he likes to repeat certain phrases. But that's his way of interacting. So what yeah. he he says something, then I have we have to make a certain response to him, the right response, and then he'll give us a response. And it is absolutely like a game of tennis or a game of catch. You know, so he desperately wants that social interchange, again, demolishing that theory that they would rather be alone. I think that's, yeah. a, that's yeah. uh, Naoki writes in the book, you know, how many times have I heard that, you know, it's so wrong. Mm. And that's absolutely a facet of Joss as well. He wants that interchange. The interchange happens in a different way. The language is, it's about passing things back and forward, and he gets real joy and pleasure from that. Yeah. Um, so I am always learning you know things from Josh, and I think the thing with the, the thing the, the thing you allude to the the slideshow is is really about memory for him uh, because his memories are very much part of his present. So he will often, and he does this in the film. You know, he will he will mention something that happened seven years ago at a particular place on a particular moment, and that seared itself into his memory. It will pop out, and he will he will say, you know, um, Rupert, Rupert's dog is in the cinema. Well, we did have my friend called Rupert who put yeah. a dog in a cinema in his, you know, in a cinema once because he, so it, it, and and that's you know that'll just pop out and then something else will pop out from you know ten years ago. Yeah, I mean his memory goes back to when he was two years old. He's got the most extraordinary memory, but it doesn't necessarily come out in a kind of narrative order. Yeah, it it, it seems to come out spontaneously, which is you know. Um, I mean, it must be an extraordinarily confusing experience, yeah. I think, for him. Yeah, but yeah. potentially, also, he he does take pleasure from it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah really. It's a conundrum. It's it's something that we are continually yeah. learning about and 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 trying to understand. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, um, Jerry. So you also obviously featured different characters all over the globe in Sierra Leone, obviously um, India and also in Arlington in Virginia, where you focus on uh, childhood best friends, Ben and Emma. I wondered if you can tell us a bit more about, about those characters. And I know they, um, they attended a progressive homeschooling um, facilitation where they were using the, um, the is it called the message boards? Is that what you call it? Yeah, letterboard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the letterboards. And I know that I've read somewhere that yeah, that 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 source of communication method, the rapid prompting method, essentially remains controversial in some autism research circles because I guess it emphasizes neurotypical people's misguided tendency to associate non-speaking with lack of comprehension, and therefore demonstrates that the benefit of the you know the method in Ben and Emma's case. I don't know what what are your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of that controversy stems from the technique called facilitated communication, which became yeah. very popular in the 1990, yeah. 1990s, yeah. where parts of the body were supported in order to point at a letterboard. And yeah. when that was subjected to um, sort of a, a more kind of rigorous scrutiny, a lot of those messages seemed to be coming more from the facilitator than from the, the person yeah. themselves. Yeah. I think what happened as a consequence of that was that, you know, 
the the idea that people who didn't who were non-speaking had language also got kind of thrown out as as an idea um and that's clearly untrue there are lots and lots of instances quite even apart from from letterboard communications where where language is is you know people are clearly processing understanding and communicating with language but then perhaps not in a conventional way sure um rapid prompting method is a is a different technique and actually ben and emma weren't learnt with a a, a woman at a center called spelling to communicate which uses a different method again yeah. um sort of starting from a from who, who's a speech therapist who started getting into using letter boards um yeah. i mean my experience of being with people communicating with letterboards was that it kind of opened up all kinds of possibilities. I mean, for Ben and Emma, whose schooling, I think they say in the film, you know, Ben says that he felt his schooling deprived him of his civil rights because it kind of put him in a in a corner away from other kids, yeah. you know, with, with the kind of with the baby education stuff rather yeah. than the things that he was interested in. Um, and it, you know, I think ultimately it's enabled them, as you see in the film, to kind of live independently as well. Um, so it's like an incredibly communication. I think Nauki says it in the book. You know, to, if I couldn't communicate, I would feel like it wasn't worth existing, or something. I think he yeah. says something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I think yep. it, it's an incredibly important tool, and certainly, you know, facilitated communication was problematic you know i think i think that there may be a stage in which people learn to use letterboards where they need that kind of support but all of the people in the film and all of the people i've seen using it at kind of a a level where they're writing books are generally using it very independently you know you see emma in the film using an ipad and actually vocalizing the words as she does it um so i think i think uh, you know i hope that, that 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 technique spreads more widely i guess yeah i i think that's right the um the use of keyboards you know just conventional keyboards Mm. um several several autistic writers have progressed on from using letterboards to using conventional keyboards so and and write beautifully so the the ability can be often often is there i think there's a there's another point which is about language which is you know because people often don't speak the regrettable tendency is to think that they don't think yeah. And there is that's just a total should be a total non sequitur. Um, I mean, again, my son Joss, he's uh, received language. He can he understands everything that you say to him. He he knows you know he, the, the one of the worst things that you know I think we did when we were young parents is to is to sometimes think well he you know he can't talk so he's not hearing and yeah. you know uh, we we were disabused of that you know by very fairly quickly by just you know watching Joss, but also I think you know Nalki's writings confirmed but you know the receipt the ability to understand language is very very often entirely unimpaired and then for it's not a great leap to say well you know these you know autistic people non-speaking autistic people can obviously understand the language so there's not a big jump to think that they can generate language it just has to be in a way that doesn't involve talking yeah and letterboards is one way of doing that you know but there are others too and of course, there's the really beautiful moment in the film when Ben says through the letterboard, I think we can change the conversation around autism by being part of the conversation. I mean, <clears> that's a real beautiful moment. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, and I think that's him for how, how long he's been an observer, not being part of conversations that he wants to be part of yeah, as well. You yeah. know, it's kind of carried in that, in that phrase. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you tell us about um, Justina in Sierra Leone? Um, so obviously, um, Justina and her parents confront superstition. 
demonization and essentially a lack of understanding, I guess, as, uh, uh, as they uh, look into open the, the country's first special needs school. I mean, how did you find them first and foremost? And, 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 and what an amazing uh, group of uh, characters they are, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess each sort of person in the film sort of plays a kind of role that takes the audiences on, yeah. the audience on this kind of journey. And Justina yeah. is where we end up. And I think we end up there because we wanted to um, explore the, the society's role in this, you know, not just being about the individual or their creativity or their language or their sensory experience, but what role does this, you know, what role does a, an, a society uh, have in, in discrimination or in facilitating and supporting the lives of autistic people. And I've been shooting another film in Sierra Leone, but I came across um, Mary's work, uh, which it, you know, Mary's the mother of Justina, a young autistic woman. She's, I think, nineteen. Uh, uh, Justina is, um, and Mary had started doing this work. Well, she became aware of how few other autistic people there were, sort of in public life in in uh, Sierra Leone, and kind of came across that that and around. You know the role of, of of demons in disability, but particularly in autism, such that you know autistic children were being abandoned, particularly in the rural areas, um, and started doing this work with parents, particularly in in rural areas. And we see some of that work, you know, a moment of that work in the film, um, and ultimately that leads to her creating the first um, school for autistic people in, in Sierra Leone and actually she's now set up uh, a, a number of centres around the country. So it's just incredibly sort of dedicated, you know, she's one of those people who is like an incredibly dedicated sort of powerhouse yeah. to yeah. change things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. What was the biggest challenge making the film? <laughs> I mean, I think, I mean, from a filmmaking point of view, it was how to sort of turn all those disparate experiences into some kind of coherent journey for an audience, I would yeah, say. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I guess there are, there are challenges in ensuring that the film sort of truly represents people. Um, I think that's a big challenge, especially as, as a kind of, you know, as relatively neurotypical filmmakers. Um, you know, how do we speak about this experience in a way that's where the speech kind of starts from those who are experiencing it, you know, yeah, as it does from, yeah. now, from people in the film. Um, and, and trying to, you know, involve autistic people in the production right yeah. the way through was yeah. key to that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And Jerry, I think you, I think I read that you said that you were wary of actually saying the film is about autism. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, it's autism's a it's a problematic category, I think, yeah. and and you know I think the the, the challenge of new, of neurodiversity as an idea I, I think is a much in a way such an exciting idea because it it kind of honours the way that we all see the world in subtly different ways and 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 different and we sort of cluster around different um, different commonalities around that I suppose and and so I, in a way I'd rather people came into it and didn't feel like oh I'm going to see the autism film but I'm going to go and see a film about you know Justina and Ben and Emma and yeah. Amrit and Joss you know yeah. and, and yeah. let's just encounter them in this 90 minutes um, and if that makes us conclude some things about other people we think are like them, then then that's okay. Yeah, and I know you've already really answered this question, but do you think the film speaks for all autistic people? 
Um, I mean, absolutely not. No, yeah. I think there's a line in the film that Naki uses about his own writing that says, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't assume that any of my words apply to all autistic people. I yeah. mean, having said that, you know, there are, there are lots of commonalities amongst autistic people and that autistic identity is becoming incredibly powerful at bringing about change in the way yeah. the neurotypical world sees autism. So it's a kind of, you know, there's a, there's a sort of balance there between asserting the, the individuality of everyone and the yeah. things that they, they have in common. Yeah. And I just yeah. wondered, I know the film essentially focuses on non-verbal non autistic individuals, but I just wondered, would it have been better to have also featured autistic individuals with low support needs on the film too, so you can see the breadth of the, uh, the autism spectrum? Um, I mean, I, th I sort of feel that Naoki's book speaks specifically to the, yeah. the non-verbal experience, yeah. and that, that was our starting point. Um, uh, you know, and again, yeah, it wasn't a film about, about autism, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it was kind of like, what, what, what can we learn from this, you know, the words of this boy in a Tokyo suburb who's speaking about a very specific experience, but one yeah. which is shared by other people around the world. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you hope the film will achieve? Um, I hope it will, as I said, I hope it will start a conversation, basically. I hope, um, it'll, it, I, well, I hope it'll speed up a conversation, which actually I think is happening already. Um, you know, in the last, whatever, 12 years since, you know, um, I've been sort of, I suppose, aware of, you know, the way that, um, we as a society view autism i think there's been quite considerable progress i think particularly as jerry just said you know the the move towards a neuro a neuro a neurodiverse outlook and the sort of the embracing of different uh, ways of seeing the world is something which i think has you know is enormously um heartening actually i think i think we are making progress i hope the film can aid that conversation i hope that film will make us make this is the irony is is that going back on the point i said earlier about empathy um you know neurotypicals are the least empathetic people towards autistic people they are you know we we need to learn more empathy towards them yeah. uh, rather than the other way around yeah. um we need to, we need to make space for to understand uh and to support when necessary um, you know, everybody, particularly autistic people, non-speaking autistic people who, who clearly, because they don't have the faculty of easy communication, mm. um, may need that extra support. Um, I think, you know, there are, there are huge social issues, um, you know, I think in, in most countries about the amounts of resources that are allocated towards, uh, towards autist, autistic people and so on. And that's a wide, sort of wider political conversation too but i hope the film will just sort of aid in that in that in that general debate brilliant thank you so i guess the final question is um when is the film coming out here in the uk and, and where can we find out more so it releases um june the 18th in picture house cinemas um but it'll also be go wider than the picture house chain uh, we're experimenting with also doing some relaxed screenings as part of that, which is trying to create a, a less intense cinema setup for 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 those that that, pre, that prefer that or find some aspects of cinema alienating, but as well as conventional screens uh, screenings. So um, seek out which you prefer, I guess. And if any of our international viewers, listeners uh, are watching, where, where might they be able to access the film as well? So it's on release in cinemas around the world. I mean, the, the American release happened in January and it's now on DVD there uh, and available digitally soon. Um, uh, and then different countries, if you go to the Reason I Jump website, Reason I Jump 
jumpfilm.com. Um, um, the reason I jumpfilm.com. Uh, you'll see uh, announcements of where it's releasing in different countries. So I think France and Australia are towards uh, the end of this year. Um, Belgium and uh, other, some other European countries are coming up. So Great, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to ask you both one final question, and this is a question that I ask all my guests on my podcast series. Um, I'll start with you, Jerry. If you, if you had the, the, the chance to, to offer your, your younger self some advice, what, what would that be? Oh, I don't know. I think I think sort of um, yeah, relentlessly kind of <laughs> the word, plow your own furrow. You know, kind, yeah. kind of try not to try and try and make a virtue of whatever uh, your peculiarities are, uh, and and don't try and fit in too much. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, sorry to put you on the spot there. First, over over to you, Jeremy. Um, don't take yourself so seriously. Probably. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, not yeah. and nothing is nothing is as dramatic as you might first think it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your your work with all of us. It's been a real pleasure to listen and learn from you both. And I I really hope that the reason I jump plays a big part in the the next step essentially of how society at large sees sees autism and celebrates difference and. You know, and, and, and it's all about neurodiversity, which is obviously a good thing. Um, that's all for now. Thanks for listening and watching even <laughs> to this episode of the Different Minds podcast series. Don't forget you can follow, uh, follow us and share your thoughts with us on Twitter. It's at the at diff, D-I-F-F underscore minds pod. Our podcast is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing on the Different Minds podcast, please share this episode and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much. I think we can change the conversation around autism by being part of the conversation. Right now, Joss is having a joy that I will never come close to. (laughs) To live my life as a human being, Nothing is more important than being able to express myself.